keep away from Pumpkinhead, unless you're tired of living. His enemies are mostly dead, he's mean and unforgiving. Laugh at him and you're undone, but in some dreadful fashion. Vengeance he considers fun, and plans it with a passion. Time will not erase or blot, a plot that he has brewing. It's when you think that he's forgot, he'll conjure your undoing. Bolted doors and windows barred, guard dogs prowling in the yard, won't protect you in your bed. Nothing well from Pumpkinhead. Be still losing hearts. The show's about to start. Clutch your pearls and clutch your teacups. Our final girl's about to episode which really feels like our Halloween episode. As always, I am Anya. Hi creeps, I'm Alex. I'm so excited. October is when we are in full power. I'm so ready for it. Ugh. And we're talking about a really fun movie today, I think. Pumpkinhead. Pumpkinhead indeed. And to anybody who's maybe questioning this choice of, you know, that's all, after years past, all the great selects and big things we've done for October, And to those people, I will say what John Kramer would say, which is trust the process because we know what the fuck we're doing and we have a lot to come in store this October um, related to Pumpkinhead and also unrelated to Pumpkinhead. So we're bringing the bangers this season. Um, But yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this movie now that I've seen it, uh, I think three times now, uh, definitely a few. Yeah, Pumpkinhead is like such a quintessential Halloween movie. It just feels fitting. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's literally a giant practical monster with a, I guess, what could be more of a pumpkin head. He kind of looks a little like a squash head, but, you know, you get the idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think his, like, the whole point is because he's, like, from a pumpkin patch. So, like, that's where he really gets his name. Yes, I believe you are correct. Um, But yeah, this, I'm pretty sure, is my third time watching it. I believe the first time I ever watched Pumpkinhead was, you know, in high school because I'd heard about it and I was like, well, I have to see this. And then second time, I want to say, is a few years ago, which is like, I think like that time I fully like retained what I was watching. And obviously now a third time for the pod, which, you know what? I'm a huge Lance Henriksen fan. um, So I'm always happy to watch a Lance joint. Um, And the director of this movie has obviously also had a very interesting and huge career of his own, which I think aspects of that career shine through in this movie and, you know, in the positive ways. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't want to go too far into discussing the film yet, but you know, those are my opening statements for Pumpkinhead. What about you? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that the, well, the first time I saw Pumpkinhead was in the fourth grade because wow. I, think as I've, okay. I think I've talked about this uh, a few times probably on the pod where like, I was not a normal child who watched, you know, Disney movies growing up. I watched horror movies. Well, I was uh, re-listening to our Saw so today and you were literally like, yeah, I oh remember my God. when I saw um, the first Saw movie in theaters at the age of fucking 12. I will never forget watching the trailer for the first time at home on my couch in my like childhood home and being like, that looks sick. And my dad just turned to me and was like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, nothing. I love it. Um, but no, I just distinctly remember in fourth grade, like all the boys in my class talking about 
this scary, crazy movie that one of them had on VHS named called Pumpkinhead. And I like, begged up. one of them to let me borrow it and they let me. And I just remember like bringing it back to school <laughs> and watching it in like 20 minute sections because I didn't want my parents to see that I was watching it. And I think low-key, I was also kind of freaked out by it. So I watched it in like chunks at the age of like nine. Um, and then I hadn't seen it for, I guess, probably like 20 years because I watched it again a few years ago with Greg. And I really enjoyed it, but I think this viewing, I was was the one that I was like, okay, no, I really fuck with Pumpkinhead because I think the thing I remembered the most from my last viewing was the stuff with the, the child, which we're going to, I'm sure, talk heavily about. And um, I know that we make it very known that I love when kids die, but I don't like <laughs> when kids die like this. This is not mm. one of those. This is like a pet cemetery for me. I don't like it. I'm sad about it. And Overall, so like, I'm going to bring up pet cemetery a lot in this episode. Oh, yeah. I figure. Um, but I just remember being like, fuck. I just remember how sad this is. I don't want to be sad. Um, but, like, I, I think I picked up on a lot more on the back end this time around that I was, like, really impressed by. So I'm excited to talk about it. Well, I love that you actually brought this up because I don't know that we've talked about it on the pod before. But this specific feeling of, like, yes, as horror fans – obviously like we get excited when new horror movies are coming out and we're excited to see them or like movies whether they're old or new that have been talked about that we can't wait to see and you finally get to watch it like and especially then when you watch it and like when it, it ends up being good like what a thrill but that specific mm-hmm. feeling of like being a kid and like having that movie or that thing that like not only do you want to watch so bad and you're so excited for it, but like for some reason you're not allowed to watch it so then you kind of have to go on this crusade either like you did like watching it secretly in spurts or like yeah. hoping your one of your parents grants you like me when I ha- watched The Lost Boys for the first time like the permission like you're allowed to watch this and just like oh I wish you could recapture that feeling because like now as an adult I'm just like yeah, I guess I can watch whatever I want. Um, but I would love the joy again of being like, ooh, I'm watching something <laughs> I'm not supposed to. Like, it's, ugh, I just don't think I'll ever, I'll ever get it again. And it's just something, mm-hmm. something I'll miss and I'll yearn for forever. <laughs> All right. So now it is time to dive into the meat, the guts, the pumpkin guts of Pumpkinhead. Before we get right into that, um, we should say where it is available to watch. And to my knowledge, right now, it is only available to watch on Showtime. So, hope y'all have Showtime. I'm shocked it wasn't on, like, Tubi or something. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. But thankfully, I do have a friend's Showtime login. Um, so I was able to watch it, Mm because, girl, you know I do not have that Showtime money. (laughs) No, I got my parents' Showtime money, baby. Literally, girl, literally. Um, But yeah, that's where you can watch it. But I guess I should get into a brief synopsis of Pumpkinhead, as brief as I can do, before we get into some fun facts. So, okay. So, Pumpkinhead from 1988 is kind of like this dark folklore tale um, but when mm-hmm. we open up with the movie, of course, we are in the before of what we're going to see uh, take place. But this guy is in the woods. It's at night and he is running for his life from Pumpkinhead. Um, and he's like knocking on doors of neighbors, asking them for help, which I will say this opening did remind me of Mario Bava's Black Sabbath, which Alex, I don't believe you've seen, but it is an anthology horror. And like the first story, if I were, I don't remember everything about it, but um, it's like this family and they're like waiting for like grandpa to return or something. And I don't remember exactly what it is, but it's essentially like 
it's like, oh, if he, like, comes back at this time or if he does mm. this thing when he comes back, I can't remember what it was. But they're like, then we'll, like, I don't know, like, know that he's a vampire and he's, like, not grandpa anymore. Um, which I feel like is, you know, so then it's like, oh, my God, do we let him in or do we not let him in? It's grandpa, but what if it's not grandpa? Like, and it's that fun trope that I feel like is done in horror movies a good amount where it is just, like, this person that we know and we like and we care about something has happened to them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, I mean, it's done in, like, Alien where it's like, oh, my God, someone's been infected. We're not going to break protocol. And then, you know, it's like, mm, yes, we are. And then fucking chaos is going to ensue. Um, but anyways, this motherfucker dies at the beginning. Um, and then we cut to modern times where we meet Lance Henriksen and his adorable cute as a button like knockoff gauge son no he's a knockoff fucking um he's knockoff boy from little vampire oh yeah that's the same little kid from Jerry Maguire isn't it too yes um I I had his name earlier Jonathan Lipnicki yes He's a fucking knockoff Jonathan Lipnicki, but, like, Jonathan Lipnicki wishes he was that cute. <laughs> I feel like I could remember you having beef with Jonathan Lipnicki for some reason. <laughs> no, I don't have beef with him. I just think that this little boy is so fucking cute. That's all. Yes, he is very cute. But we meet these two, and they live um, – Loki honestly what appears to me to be, like, I, I was giving me, like, Outback vibes. Um, I know they didn't, like, shoot this in Australia, but, like, something about it, I was like, it's giving Australia. Um, but anyways, we meet them, and we see their sweet little life, which is also kind of giving me, like, Shirley Temple and Heidi, like, living in a cottage with, you know, your old man. Um, but Lance Henriksen is, like, the sweetest fucking father. You know, he takes care of his son. He wears this, like, clay necklace his son made him. <laughs> um... And they also, or I guess Lance owns what appears to be this outback Australian, um, this little town's, like, only, like, grocery store Mm -hmm. type thing. Um, But, you know, they they run that in their days. Um, And, of course, it's also the checkpoint that the city folk have to come to um, so that we can introduce them to the story. So they go to work for the day. The city folk come in. We meet them. And, of course, some of them are, like, nice and sweet and, like, you know – well-intentioned and then of course you've got the bad ones mainly one who's like the bad boy who's very much like i'm not gonna go down for this shit like type vibes um but of course their happy little existence cannot last for that long um so lance of course has to leave his son at the store and then the dog gets out because i didn't mention they have of course a beautiful dog the boy runs after it and then a dirt bike accident uh you know the guy the douchey bad guys driving dirt bike happens runs over this little kid kills him um and then you know he tries to leave the scene of the crime so half his friends are trying to go after him the other half are trying to stay with this little kid's body and do what's right um lance gets back devastated the light of his life is dead he has nothing to live for um immediately he scoops up the body of his son because girl this movie is an 86 minute runtime he's wasting no time let's fucking go so he takes his son's body to um this like backwoods family's house which like this family had like come to the shop earlier and he had to drop off supplies for them he goes he drops it off but he's also like hey i know you motherfuckers know about this witch or this old lady that like lives in the woods tell me where she is please and the dad of this family which i don't know if you noticed this oh um, i do no i don't but it's yeah. yeah it's the janitor from sorority babes of course love that 
So this guy essentially tells Lance, he's like, girl, I'm not about to tell you anything about this. Like, you don't want to get involved with that. I'm not doing it. But then this guy's son runs after Lance and is like, hey, if you give me money, like, I'll tell you, show you where the switch is. So he does that. Lance shows up to his witch's cottage. She's got her witch shit up to, like, 2,000. She is not playing with her witchy vibes. Like, oh, my God. Um, And then she's essentially like, what you're asking has a huge price. Like, you don't even realize. And flat out, I cannot bring your son back from the dead. So that's not going to happen. But what I can do is get you revenge, which low-key is what you want. Like, I can sense that off of you. Like, you want the people that killed your son to pay. So, of course, Lance, like Mm – follows her instructions and like goes to this old graveyard which is also like this old ass like pumpkin patch too but he digs up this corpse which looks like a crusty old ass like Voldemort corpse brings it to the witch lady she does her witchcraft on it does her whole spell and then she's done and she like takes Lance's blood like all this shit and then she's like okay it's over What's done is done like you can go home now and you're like oh my god what's done well she's arisen pumpkin head from the dead um who will now go and essentially is like telekinetically um like linked to lance to like do his bidding essentially and to like know the people that he wants revenge on so pumpkin head goes out and starts like systematically like killing off these city folk one by one which then like they catch on and they're like oh my god this thing is after us like i don't know what to do um and then when lance starts to catch on because, like, the first time Pumpkinhead kills, like, he can, like, f- like see and, like, feel the kill happening. So once he, like, figures that out, he, like, immediately regrets his decision. He's like, this is wrong. Like, I have to stop this. So then he tries to step in and, like, kill Pumpkinhead. Um, which then also, like, you know, the son of, like, the backwoods guy, like, gets involved at one point um, and tries to help the city folk. Ask me why. I don't know. I just, like, he loves to be involved. Um, but then, yeah, it ends, it culminates with Lance having a stand-up with Pumpkinhead, mm-hmm. um, in which he does kill Pumpkinhead, but he has to pay the ultimate price that he was always going to have to pay, um, which is that he also dies and becomes Pumpkinhead himself, kind of. And then the witch buries, like, his Pumpkinhead fucking corpse um, to, I guess, in the future be resurrected again when revenge is once more needed but that is 1988's pumpkin head hell yeah <clears throat> a revenge tale as old as time literally girl wow excellent synopsis. let's jump into some background i don't have a wild amount but i had more than i honestly thought i was going to um okay so pumpkin head as you said filmed uh released in 1988 It is rated R, hour 26, and it was directed by Stan Winston, who is most notably known as a very, um, he's a very well-known special effects um, artist. He worked on Jurassic Park, Aliens, Terminator films. He's a big name in Hollywood. Um, This film is based on a poem of the same name by Ed Justin, which I read at the beginning. It's funny that you said that it felt like this was filmed, where did you say, in Australia? Yes. It was filmed in Los Angeles, California. Um, I mean, there's deserts in California, but, like, I don't know. Like, I feel like a lot of times when you see these, like, gritty Australian, like, horror movies, like, where it's, like, oh, this, like, wild boar is going to fucking kill mm-hmm. you in the outback. Like, there was something about this that had that vibe to it. So I was just, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, maybe it was filmed in Australia. If you told me it was, I'd believe you. I don't know. It was kind of giving me, like, Sleepy Hollow vibes, honestly. Oh, yeah. Well, you wouldn't. You could do, like, the woods and the pumpkin patch, like, for yeah. sure. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see the Australia though with like the the dirt roads where they're they're doing like the mountain biking and stuff. Yeah, originally this was not going to be called Pumpkinhead. It was going to be called Vengeance colon the Demon, which is just like well, not, uh, not then thank name. God they changed the name. Yeah, like if you have the name Pumpkinhead already established from the poem, keep the name. It's a good name. Why yeah. Um, and like I understand that like yes, he is a demon. It's established that he's like a demon of vengeance, but like it's a little on the nose. So I'm glad they changed that. Um, This film was followed by a straight to video sequel. Then two made for TV films that played on sci-fi, which Lance Henriksen was a part of and has (gasps) since said he deeply regrets because he thinks they're trash. He's like, I love the original, but I should never have done the sci-fi ones. Um, Then there was a comic book series and like a PC video game that, looked really bad i briefly looked it up um like a like a shooter game um where you're then, like shooting pumpkin head or you're like i think pumpkin so. head with a gun yeah i think it's like you and like i think it's like a first person kind of like shooting game like at pumpkin head but it did not have good reviews um and there had been talks as of 2021 about doing a reboot but it seems like it's kind of not really gone anywhere so yeah, I was going to say, not that I'm, like, rooting for it to get remade, but, like, this, like, feels ripe for, like, reboot or, like, remake territory, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised that nothing has really been made since the sci-fi films, but it's it's been in talks. It's just kind of fallen into, like, pre-production hell. Stan Winston, uh, the director, was originally approached just to do the special effects makeup for the creature, but when he read the script, he was like, No. I think this is going to be my directorial debut. And I think I have like the stuff to make this a great film. Um, so I love that. He really only directed a couple of other things. This is definitely his most notable. Um, and I love a directorial debut. Um, and a and very solid the, one. It is very good. Yeah. Um, the atmosphere on set was reported to be incredibly fun uh, because of the way that Stan Winston kind of ran things. It was he was said to bring a lighthearted and relaxed spirit to set and was always trying to make the cast and the crew laugh, which is just beautiful. Oh, good. I love to hear that because I feel like, you know, there's so many like yeah. Hollywood like horror stories, mm-hmm. um, especially when it comes to like a white male director that like you're kind of waiting for like, you know, something bad to come out. Not specifically with Stan Winston, but like it is nice to have a story where it's like, oh, my God, you had so much fun. I love yeah, that. I love I feel like it translates to the screen because, like, everyone's yeah. performances are pretty this good. This feels like a movie that I would, like, love to participate in. Yeah. Um, you briefly brought up the dog. Um, the dog who played Gypsy. Real life name, Mushroom. Um, <gasps> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Mushroom! Mushroom! I love you. Uh, delightful fun fact about Mushroom. Um I don't, I don't know gender of the dog, um, but they have only done two films, which was Pumpkinhead and Gremlins. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Horror legend. I know. I love Horror practical effects legend. Ugh. I love that Mushroom was like, I also like little guys, but mm-hmm. I also like big guys, too. Mushroom does not discriminate. I fucking love that. That's like when I found out the seagull from The Shallows was also the same seagull actor from The Lighthouse. Yeah. I feel like there was a period of time, like, after The Shallows where that seagull did not work. Um, And I was like, oh, my God. Like, was he an onset diva? Oh, my God. Um, But then he came back, so. 
Maybe he was just on a cleanse, you know? He had to take some time for himself. Mm, he had to do, like, the Andrew Garfield thing and, like, you know, take a break from acting for a little bit. Mm-hmm, exactly. Um, one, so there's a scene that you briefly mentioned when the guy from uh, Sorority Paves, what's his name? The actor's name is George Buck Flower. I uh, love him. He goes to the convenience store with his, like, 20 children to go buy groceries and pick up stuff. And one of the little girls who goes to the store and is, like, picking on her little brother uh, is Maya Bialik, and it's her debut role. Okay. Yeah. If you don't know who that is, she was on Big Bang Theory. And uh, was she was the ho- one of the co-hosts of Jeopardy, but I think she – I read that she left in support of the – Writers and actors strike. Fun fact. Um, I love this one. I think you'll love this. The cabin where the teens stay once they like finally get to the cabin. I feel like I know what you're going to say. Same cabin that's used in Friday the 13th for the final chapter. I fucking knew it. Tommy Jarvis. I literally fucking knew it. You knew it? How did you know that? Because I literally watch so much of the Friday the 13th video game, like literally so much, and they like use all the cabins from the movie. Yes, it's also, yeah, it's but, the same house. Yeah, and it's, like, the exact outlay. So, like, without realizing it, like, I memorized, like, the layouts of all these cabins. Mm. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, my God, wait, is that? And then I was like, no, girl, like, there's no fucking way it's the same thing. Like, not all cabins are the same. Like, you're going crazy. So I put it aside. <laughs> but I literally was fucking right. I should have trusted my gut. Um, Wow, that was everything. Yeah, this one was. Um, thank you for sharing that. I did love that fun fact so much. Yeah, it's a great fact. Um, so let's see. Okay. The budget of this film, as a lot of the B-horror films that we talk about, was pretty low, especially for 1988. It was $3 million. Um, it had a limited release in theaters in October of 1988. And then they did a second limited release in January of 1989. And it grossed about four and a half million. So even though it wasn't really considered a commercial success, it still did financially make money for them. And obviously it has since gone on to be a huge cult classic. Right. Um, your best friend, Lance Henriksen, took this role very seriously when he got cast. He took it upon himself to kind of create the character on his own. He got all of his clothing and all of the props he used for him by himself he got some dentures. That I was about to say, to he has big teeth. Yeah, dentures to give him a more rural look. The shotgun is it like an antique World War II shotgun he, he found. His baseball cap he wears, he got. And all of the old silver dollars that he gives to the witch Haggis, he found by like going to multiple pawn shops and just like collecting them. Just so fun. I love the dedication. I love Lance Henriksen. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up the teeth because literally when I was watching, I was like, Okay, like, you know when you watch, like, an old, like, Tom Cruise movie and he still has, like, like, the unibrow going on? You're like, okay, so this is pre-Scientology, Tom. Where it was like, I was like, wait, like, was this, like, a movie he did before all these other movies? Um, where he, like, did he have, like, his teeth done? Um, but then I looked and I was like, no, he's, like, literally done other movies that I have seen him in with his regular teeth before this. Um, they kind of, I don't mean to sound, like, mean, but, like, yeah, they kind of look like, like, uh, like rat teeth almost like the way that they're like curved and pointed i like they literally do like i don't mean it in a mean way but that's the only way i can describe them mm-hmm. um but i do love knowing that this was fully his decision and not the costuming department um mm-hmm. he was he fully came in and he was like 
don't even worry about it. I have a vision. I love that you noticed that you were like, those are not his teeth. Because I would never would have known. Well, girl, I'm not fucking around when it comes to Lance Hendrickson. I I know know. what he looks like. Also, I love that you called him my best friend. That is my husband. That's my zaddy. That is my man. Um, Amazing. Uh, um, Well, speaking of haggis, which I think is just such a delightful name for a witch, first of all. Um, the outfit that the actress has to wear to play Haggis reportedly weighed 65 pounds. Jesus. Uh, which is probably why she's seated in most scenes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it took the makeup team three hours to apply all of her makeup, which honestly, in retrospect, considering how good her makeup is, I don't think that's that long of a time. No, she had like great witch makeup. Like I literally made a note of that. She looked amazing. Yeah. It's an incredible witch. Um, this is just a stupid little um, thing I found on IMDb that I thought was too funny to not include. Um, it was like one of the goofs in the scene where Bunt, who is the the child who has decided to help them, meet like gets with the two remaining teens. He's like, I have a place that I think that we should go that I don't think he'll be able to follow us. And he brings them to this like burned down church. And he's like, it's holy ground. I feel like he can't come here. Which he's wrong about because Pumpkinhead immediately shows up and steps right in. Apparently, I need to go back and look at it. But like one of the last few shots of Pumpkinhead walking into the burned down church, you can fully see that he's wearing Nikes. Shut the fuck up. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, because I mean, it's no, yeah, because it's, I mean, the Pumpkinhead, it's a costume, obviously, that like a man is wearing. And I guess he's wearing Nikes and they like didn't catch it. I like need to look at it right now. <laughs> Fucking Nikes. I tried to and it- I wanted me to like log into Showtime again. I was like, I don't have the energy. That's absolutely fucking nuts to me. Like, I I know need to see him in these Nikes. Fuck, it wants me to sign in too, so I'll fucking do it later. But um, we should we'll post it on Instagram. No, if I find it, I'm absolutely posting it. Like, I can't even comprehend. I love it. Just some product placement unintentionally. Um. I'm like not gonna get over this. Like, I need Nike to like reclaim this and like make a Halloween commercial oh with God. Pumpkinhead just like absolutely bawling the fuck out in some Nikes. Oh my God, I love that. Um, okay, last fact is very simple. Um, if you haven't seen this film already and you're not already excited, uh, this was listed in Fangoria's 101 Best Horror Films You Have Never Seen. So if you don't trust us, at least trust Fangoria and check it out. Yeah, I think it's a movie worth seeing at least one time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Well, I was delighted by those fun facts, um, but I think it is time now to get into the meat of the actual episode, which I think a great place to start was something I made note of right off the bat, which is something I loved, Mm -hmm. which is um, the atmosphere of this movie. Like, it's so perfectly atmospheric. I had the same note. Literally, yeah. Like, it's... Yeah, it's so good. It's so amazing like literally from the top I mean I already brought up like Mario Bava's Black Sabbath which I know that you will watch at some point Mm. but I think it's like literally like the most visually like aesthetically pleasing like horror anthology so to you know compare the two is a compliment for me um but then even when you get to like the Australia of it all whatever like even though that doesn't line up perfectly with where we go from there like I like that aesthetic but I think peak aesthetic atmosphere of the movie for me and probably for you too Mm -hmm. is um when we get to like at night in the woods like at the pumpkin like dilapidated cemetery cemetery can't even speak cemetery um and the witch's hut like perfect like Mm. chef's kiss like perfect atmosphere um I absolutely like loved it 
Yeah, it's the first thing that I noted. Just like the opening scene, just the way that it's lit is so beautiful throughout the entire film. It's They have so much use of natural light in the cabins and in the woods because like there's so many shots where just the the light is just like flying through like the trees and it's just so mystical and feels like there's no fog or anything, but it kind of has that like ethereal like look to it. And there's a lot of shots where it has like a glowing red light. It's just really, really beautiful. It gets you so into the vibe of like, I feel like this is an October night in Hall- and like, like it's like a spooky Halloween vibe and it's just so, so good. It, it really sets the tone for everything. I feel like if you didn't have the aesthetic of it, it wouldn't be as impactful. No, 100%. And like you're so right about like mm-hmm. the Halloween vibes because yeah, oh my God, perfect Halloween vibes. It's like the perfect – because – the thing is, like, yes, there's, like, so many movies that, like, you could just say are, like, flat out, like, Halloween movies. Like, I, you know, like, every year I'm going to watch Hocus Pocus. Or, like, I might throw on Practical Magic even though I don't really, like, particularly love the movie. But, like, it's a great, like, vibes movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but those, even those are, like, kind of PG-13. So, like, Pumpkinhead feels like, you know, when you, if you still, like, want to just have, like, a vibe out movie but you're ready to, like, age it up a little bit, like, Pumpkinhead is the place you want to be like you want to put on pumpkin head when you have your orange like string lights up you've got some hot chocolate mm-hmm. like maybe a pizza and you got your Pillsbury like Halloween cookies and you're just gonna vibe the fuck out um yeah it's oh my god yeah quintessential <laughs> I feel like horror um Halloween vibes um with our guy pumpkin head but something else I think um really works for this movie is like the Stan Winston of it all because obviously we talked about like atmosphere and even you know like set design we were talking about the witch's hut or whatever but like the makeup obviously like not a surprise like is fantastic Mm -hmm. like obviously the witch's makeup like she looks amazing and obviously like our big best friend Pumpkinhead like the creature effects are just top tier not like a fucking shred of like visual effects to be seen yes like for better or for worse um and i just fucking love a big ass gangly monster on stilts like you're gonna get me every time with that like i am gonna be a fan he's so he's just so effective and i think you get like a couple of different versions of pumpkin head too which i love because when you first like when he's first resurrected with the blood of Ed Harley, he like comes back to life. He is still kind of in that like diminutive stature where he's like a kind of like a little guy and he like pops up and you see his little head and he's just so fucking cute. He is very giving Sam and trick or treat vibes a thousand percent. Um, And then, you know, as he's kind of, I think maybe as he gains power, he kind of becomes like the big brooding guy with the fucking like football player shoulders that are at the weirdest angles I've ever seen. And He's, it's just such an incredible design. I feel like I've never seen anything like it. And like, obviously, even though his face does not really resemble a pumpkin necessarily, it doesn't matter. It's just like the vibe of it all. And I'm sure we'll talk about it maybe later, but as the film goes on, Pumpkinhead continues to morph and change visually because the more he kills, the more he starts to physically transform into Ed Harley And so by the end of the film, in the last scene, he has like the same facial structure as Lance Hendrickson, which was done on purpose. They like molded the face to look like Lance Hendrickson to show how like intertwined the two have now become. And it's just, 
so visually effective. Like you don't have to tell me that, oh, these two are connected. Like you don't have to like tell me with words. Like I can see it and I'm like, wow, damn. That is so, so creepy. Well, yeah. I mean, it's also like effective filmmaking Mm -hmm. because, you know, the makeup effects are done so well that like you can see as an audience member this slow morphing that tells you what you need to know instead of having a character being like, hey, yeah. <laughs> that pumpkin head guy's starting to look like you. Um, but um, the things you brought up with Pumpkinhead that I want to touch upon, one being um, the Sam from Trick or Treat of it all, because on past viewings I have made, you know, the joke of like, you know, Sam from Trick or Treat mm-hmm. is like son of Pumpkinhead, which I still feel. Um, yeah. But this feeling I was specifically was like, Pumpkinhead looks like if you took Sam from Trick or Treat and then like a xenomorph from Alien and put them through a fly telepod, like Pumpkinhead would be mm-hmm. what came out on the other side, um, which I love. He looks fantastic. Um, and I love all those movies. So what a delight. Um But then the other thing, when you said, like, you'd never really seen, like, creature design like this before, and we brought up earlier, like, you know, Mm -hmm. possible, like, what if they remade it or whatever, which there are definitely things about this that I feel like could be enhanced upon a reboot, a remake, whatever, but the things that give me hesitation if that were to happen is, one, I feel like, Mm. I don't know, I'd be worried that they would, like, lose the perfect, like, Halloween spooky atmosphere, which, like is necessary for this movie to work like i don't i don't give a fuck like i don't need like rob zombies like <laughs> pumpkin head with peace and love to rob zombie but i don't need like the gritty yeah. fucking dark pumpkin head like obviously this movie is dark but like you know what i'm saying um but also i'd be worried that like because nowadays everything is so cg heavy and even when movies still try to do practicals i mean i get so excited because it feels so rare but even then like sometimes it's just like it's yeah there's a practical there but it's very limited or it's also like the practical is there but it's overdone with the cg on top of it which like i'm not saying there's anything particularly wrong with that but Mm -hmm. i don't know i don't want to like lose the perfectness of the practical pumpkin headedness like i feel like i would need that guy that's always in the guillermo del toro movies oh doug jones yes doug jones if doug jones like signed on to be playing pumpkin head then i would give a lot of trust and faith to a remake guillermo del toro could do it pretty damn good i think oh my god yeah it has because he would get the he would understand the atmosphere of it a thousand percent because like and i do think that a lot of it is probably because of the fact that it was such a low budget film where like they had to take advantage of like the natural elements and really like focus on those but that's why i think it's it works so well and if you have it as like a big budget motion picture nowadays i feel like it could very easily come across more like sterile and just like you know modern and less just just the vibes would not be as immaculate, I don't think. Um, well, it's great that you brought up the Guillermo del Toro of it all. Because, yeah, if this was remade with anybody else, like, I really believe that it would be, like, that dark, gritty, grungy pumpkin head. Which, like, mm-hmm. there are things from that version, I'm sure, that could be interesting and fun. But, like, that's not what I'm looking for. Um, and not only does Guillermo have down, obviously, atmosphere and practical effects, which he has, like, proven mm-hmm. time and time again. But... The thing that I think would work really well for him doing a pumpkin head story is um, the attention his stories have to, like, like love and, like, the love of your family and stuff like that. Like, these deep emotional, like, things within these, like, monster movies, Um, which is quintessential to me, honestly, for Pumpkinhead because, like, you know – 
like, listen, like, anybody else would be giving us, like, Joey King and fucking Wish Upon Pumpkinhead, where it would be, like, um, oh, my God, we found this thing, and, like, we, we weren't supposed to use it, and then we did, and this thing is coming after us. It would be giving, like, the bye-bye man, um, which I don't fucking want. No, thank you. Um, but what he would really nail is, like, the Lance Henriksen, like, perfect father story of it all of, like, I love my son so fucking much more than anything um mm-hmm. and then obviously because of that being driven to resurrecting Pumpkinhead which what I think is great about this movie is that they could have gone the way of like Lance does that Pumpkinhead is risen and then Lance is out of the movie for the rest of the movie and it's just Pumpkinhead or we could have American Werewolf in London where like Lance transform we see the transformation into Pumpkinhead he fully becomes Pumpkinhead and they are mm-hmm. one entity the whole time but they don't they have it where they're separate but he then gets to have this like oh no like I regret mm-hmm. what I've done to the point that I'm going to step in and try to, like, end it myself. And, like, even though these people, like, killed my son or whatever, and I think that they're guilty or whatever, like, mm-hmm. me then taking their lives, like, is only – is, like, not okay. Um, anyways, Guillermo would fucking nail it. Yeah, I think in a lot of hands, Pumpkinhead could kind of just translate to a creature slasher kind of film, you know, where it's just, like, oh, big bad in the woods and all these teens are going to, you know – it's going to be like a Friday 13th kind of thing where it's like, oh, the teens run into Pumpkinhead. But at the core of the film, it's a it's a revenge film, you know? Pumpkinhead has to be brought to life by somebody who has been wronged by another man in such a... Like, they specifically say, like, it has to be something as egregious as, like, murder, where the heart of the film is loss and grief and revenge. And like you said, it's, it's so much more impactful because he realizes that he was just, like, riding on grief and it, it was not the decision that he should have made and he regrets it and he tries to, to make up for it and it's it's too little too late so now he has to sacrifice himself to save these people and there's a lot of heart to it I don't think that the script necessarily is very strong in terms of dialogue but I do think that the story overall has a lot of depth to it that I feel like a, a lot of creature films don't really bother with because you have a cool creature and you can just kill people. Um, and I, I, yeah, I think in lesser hands um, than Guillermo del Toro, maybe it wouldn't translate as well, but he would be so good. Ugh. Well, I love that you brought up grief because um, if you haven't listened yet to our latest mini-sode with uh, returning disc returning guest Cornelia mm-hmm. we talked about talk to me and we talked about grief there which I won't say any spoilers for that movie um because this is not a talk to me episode um but mm-hmm. the trend nowadays is all these movies and it the whole thing ends up being like did you get it like it's about their trauma which not to say that that has never happened in, in past horror movies or to say that there aren't any good movies that do that because there are. But I think it's one of those things where it's like the trend thing where like one movie does it, it gets really successful, mm-hmm. like fucking Hereditary or whatever. And then every fucking movie or I guess like the new Halloweens or whatever, um, where then every movie now is like, oh, we have to cash in on that. We're going to do this whole thing and it might be a really cool idea. But then honestly, sometimes it like ruins the whole movie for me a little bit if it's like, okay, and then it's like shoehorned in like it's about the trauma it's about the trauma like we've done it I get it let's move on and I think an interesting place for us to move on to the horror industry filmmakers whatever would be the idea of exploring like the grief of it all because with the trauma Mm -hmm. like a lot of times it's like oh this thing happened to them 10 fucking years ago we're gonna drudge it up and make them face it now like face their demons like metaphorically and really at the same time like whatever where I'm like grief 
that's so much more interesting to me currently because it's like when that happens you don't have time to process it like that that human like reaction is just kind of like you don't know Mm -hmm. what to do with that like it's so overwhelming and so instantaneous and you feel like that grief that rage wanting revenge whatever it is and the way you react in that moment and the things you do like are oftentimes like yeah maybe something that if you had more time to process either to heal from or to just create that like longer like unresolved trauma like you might look at it a different way where like it's more interesting to me to be like make that bad decision in the moment because of the grief and then that makes some more bad shit happen and then you have the Lance Henriksen moment like in this movie where then he makes a decision based on grief because he Mm -hmm. wants to bring his son back and then has that like ooh girl I fucked up I should have done that and now I have to take care of it myself like that's such interesting territory to me um so it was fun to revisit this and see that um but yeah I think in 2024 we need to pivot away from like it's trauma and pivot Mm -hmm. into I did this because of grief fuck yeah I I agree because like when you have you know x amount of years like removed from whatever grief you experienced you are you still have that trauma but at the end of the day like you are still yourself and you're going to make the decisions that you would probably normally make whereas I feel like there's so much room to just explore when it is an immediate grief because everybody handles grief differently a lot of times the actions of people who are grieving do not make a lot of common sense logically because you're not thinking logically you're thinking emotionally and so I think the the directions that you could take that are endless because people could do anything when they're grieving and they'll go to any length to stop the grieving. So anyway, I think that's very much prevalent here where like he obviously was hoping he was going to be able to bring his son back to life. And when that was immediately shut down, he didn't even say it. She just like, cause she's, she's blind. She doesn't even know who they are. She's just, she's so one with nature and her witchiness that she just knows immediately who they are she knows what he wants and he doesn't even like miss a beat he's just like okay then I need revenge immediate because what else am I gonna do I have like I don't know where to go from here with my life I have to I'm just like so hyper focused on this moment and how I'm feeling and how devastated I am and the only thing that might make me feel a little bit better is inflicting this pain on the people who put it on me in the first place no that's so real and like it doesn't even always need to be like this human emotion of like that like jerk reaction doesn't even Mm -hmm. always need to be like something as extreme as like you know you fucking killed my son like when someone does a slight against you or is mean to you or upsets you and your reaction is obviously like hurt feelings like when you're still in that raw state of like my feelings Mm -hmm. are hurt or like even like at that low level like yeah your reaction sometimes can be kind of like irrational and like you, you don't feel good about it afterwards and you regret it and like I think that's something that comes with like time and growth and you know age or whatever because there was many years of my life that I was very much that way that was like jerk reaction to everything and then of course embarrassment about it after the fact but then like doubling down and being like you know not really having my George Hardy moment of like let me yeah. try to make it better um but, you know, and then obviously you heighten it when you put it in a horror movie of like, yeah, something extreme. Mm-hmm. And then you add horror to it um, and you get something like Pumpkinhead. And I think also specifically like the whole like 
the parenting of it all like you know when you put it in context like okay now you have like a parent like the love of a parent losing a child and obviously neither of us are parents although you are uh, an animal parent to your cats and your dog now um but even when you think about the context of that like yeah like if somebody threatened one of your animals or something happened to them like you would go crazy it'd be awful yeah I mean, I didn't talk about it on the podcast, but I did lose my baby Craven a few months ago. And if I had like, if I had a haggis to go to, bitch, I would have done it. I would have gone to her. I would have been like, bring her back or do I'll do whatever I can to bring her back. So I get it. Hmm. Well, I choose to believe that Pumpkinhead is with her right now, um, petting her little head and giving her little oh kisses God. and they're hanging out. I hope so. It's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> They're friends. Um, But to use um, pet as a segue here um, to something that we brought up at the top of the episode, um, which is the pet cemetery of it all. Um, Because obviously when you watch this, and I remembered obviously like the little boy in this, little cute blonde boy, horrible accident happens and he dies. Mm -hmm. The thing you obviously think of is like if you've seen Pet Cemetery, you think of Gage in Pet Cemetery. um, Because how can you not? Um... But there's actually, like, a lot, I feel like, of Pet Cemetery going on here because you have, like, the small town vibes. I mean, obviously, it's, like, Maine and Pet Cemetery, and it's, you know, wherever the fuck they are here, girl. Mm-hmm. Um, fucking Australia, who knows? Um, but so you have that. Then you have, like, the dad who has, like, a job in town that's, like, very important. He's very vital to, like, the running of things. I mean, in Pet Cemetery, it's Lewis, um, mm-hmm. who is, like, the town doctor at the college that they really need. Um, and then uh, here with um, Lance Henriksen, it's, um, you know, he's, like, seemingly the one storekeep um, in the entire town. Um, so also vital to their survival um and then you have obviously yes the quintessential like accident with the child Mm -hmm. um gage is obviously being hit by like a fucking semi-truck and then here it is you know the motorbikes as Um, the child is chasing after something literally yes uh Mm -hmm. the kite for gage the dog for the little boy in pumpkin head um but there's just like so many parallels and then obviously the culminating like the big dark scary thing of Mm -hmm. like okay now my son's dead you know beside yourself cannot handle this grief and in pet cemetery obviously there's more of a little time jump with that one because like they have the funeral and everything but like lewis digs up his son's grave does what he's told that he's not supposed to do but he's like so desperate and buries his fucking son in sour ground so he'll come back and then we can just pretend like nothing happened and then in this one Mm -hmm. it's more instantaneous but it's like okay i'm gonna bring my son's corpse to like a witch in the woods and she's gonna tell me i can't bring him back but i can get revenge so i'll also go to a fucking cemetery and dig up like this crusty old little pumpkin corpse which girl when he was in fucking pumpkin head going to the cemetery climbing up that bramble or whatever it was like over the bramble to get to where pumpkin is buried i literally was like Mm -hmm. this is dead ass literally pet cemetery when judd not judd excuse me lewis has to like climb up over the thing to like get to where the uh sour ground pet cemetery is um but yeah, and it's mm-hmm. just like that – and what's really scary about it is it's that paternal or maternal thing, I think, where it's just like – even when you watch this and obviously the end result is like you're going to try to do this thing and it's only going to go bad for you. I feel like even watching it, you there's scary because you're like, even if I knew it was going to go bad, how can I not try, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and they're both warned before they do it that like – like Judd tells him not to do it, 
and he, he gives him the story of his dog and he warns him about like the repercussions of it and Lewis doesn't care in the same way the the witch haggis tells him you know there's a steep price to pay if you want to do this and both times they do not heed the warnings they think they know better they think that whatever the consequences are are going to be worth it to get their loved child back and in the end obviously both men realized that it was the fucking wrong choice don't do it I mean at least in this one he didn't bring his son back to life and have it be the cutest most evil little thing um I feel like that would be that's just like more traumatizing than yeah definitely what happens in Pumpkinhead but yeah there's a lot of parallels and it's it's just so sad just watching it the because the first like 45 minutes of the film honestly is this happening because it's it's you know it's establishing I mean you have the opening scene where it establishes like the lore of Pumpkinhead a little bit with um Ed when he's a child because he's the one who's in the house with his parents who will not let the man come in. So he's, and he sees out the window and he has that like childhood moment of, Oh my God, what is that creature? Which then lives with him over the next, you know, 50 plus years. Um, But so much of the first half of the film is just establishing the father son relationship, bringing these teens into the, to the mix and then the accident happening and then his fallout from the accident. And so the first like 45 minutes is just like, really sad and it's not really even a horror film at that point it's just like this is a really sad drama happening that then will transform into a creature feature um so it's just like it's just devastating I it's it's the same thing I feel when I watch Pet Cemetery, where I'm like maybe this time he'll stop running and it won't happen <laughs> you know oh my god literally imagine watching Pet Cemetery for like the 80th <laughs> time and then this time when Gage gets to the road he just dead fucking stops at his tracks and then the rest of the movie just plays out with this happy family. That's what I want. I like. Oh my god! I just. It reminds me of like um, Roberto has like said that he will like stop watching <laughs> Carrie when it gets to the nice. prom scene yeah. because like she's happy then, and he just turns it off. He doesn't want to see yeah. it like go bad. It's just like I want to know that she's happy, and then I'm good. Yeah, I, I t- very much feel that. I mean, and yeah, the the whole thing with like my perspective about like children's deaths in horror films is with like obviously this is necessary because it is like the catalyst for the rest of the film so like it's the inciting incident it has to happen but I just I hate it because if you're gonna kill a kid in the movie I'm okay with it when it's like the big bad creature is doing it because then it feels just kind of like even across the board like anybody can get it whereas like a lot of horror films as we talked about like will not go so far as to kill the child because it is so like shocking and can like really upset people so when horror films go that extra mile to be like, no, nobody is safe because the monster is does not discriminate against who it kills. That's when I'm like, wow, that's like the blob. I think that's really cool, like, especially when they're annoying ass kids where I'm like, get his ass. Um, Love that. But in moments like with like this where it's like a human tragedy, it's so much harder because I think obviously also because like it feels so much more rooted in reality where if the blob kills a kid – I can't really be upset about it because, like, it's a blob, you know? Can't hold that grudge. Um. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But, like, this little boy just, like, trying to protect his dog that ran out and then getting fucking run over by a fucking piece of shit drunk on a motorbike is something that could happen. And it's so sad. It's so devastating. So, like, it it has that impact. And I I don't like it. I, I get it. I need it. 
but it makes me sad. Also, everyone watches this little kid run by and does nothing. I know. Well, that one girl tries. I mean, yeah, but, like, girl, like, literally, like, she runs by, like, fucking four yeah. or five of them. And then it isn't until he's, like, past the last one that she's like, little boy, little boy. And I'm just like, girl, come the fuck on. Like, first and foremost, not a single fucking one of you saw this kid, like, run by. I mean, the yeah. dog has to run first, like, and they're not even paying attention to the goddamn dog. But I'm just like... He runs by the first girl. She should have immediately seen him and been like, is this little boy supposed to be out here? Mm -hmm. Like, probably not. Girl, too little, too motherfucking late. I know. It's just – and, like, uh, all of it. I mean, obviously I'm not trying to um, shit on Lance Hendrickson's character's parenting, but, like, I would never leave my child alone with all these fucking teens out here. Like, I understand that he was just going away for, like, a couple of minutes to go pick up some feed and they probably live really close and he told him to stay inside, but, like – I, I don't I don't think I would I I would just be too paranoid. Well, I just think it like shows like the difference in like the lives they're clearly living mm. because like Lance and like anybody else in this area, like it's such like a small community. Um that like yeah, like you can leave your kid in the store you own and not worry about it because like these other people, like they literally call them city folk. Like they're the outsiders where like if anyone should be fearful of anyone, you would think that like the city folk would probably be fearful mm-hmm. of like the people in this town. But like, sure, maybe if you lived in a city, which is, you know, I think seen as more dangerous, they're more populated. Yeah, you wouldn't leave your kid alone in a store even if you owned it because they could get snatched or something. Um, but here it's like a different story. Um but I was also trying to remember on this watch before it started. I was like, wait, like, I couldn't remember if it had been, like, a situation where, like, Lance had, like, told him to stay in there and then the kid, like, left on his own because he was like, I didn't want to stay put. Because then I was going to be like, kid, come the fuck on. Like, you're asking for trouble. But it's literally him trying to, like, protect the dog. So it's, like, so sad. It could not be, like, more fucking tragic for this little boy to, like, eat it. But to switch gears now, I think it's a perfect time for us to get to the best part of the episode, which is, as always, the cue and slay. The girls who cried be horror. Okay, Alex, what is your favorite kill or practical effect from Pumpkinhead? Okay, well, we already... I'm not going to talk about Pumpkinhead himself because we already kind of did. I think that's safe to say that the creature effects of Pumpkinhead from the moment he is brought back as that like little baby pumpkin and then big boy Pumpkinhead and then kind of Ed Harley version Pumpkinhead, all of the versions of him, excellent, incredible, love it so much. But in terms of kills, um, it's very like simple, but something that I found to be very effective um, in general, Pumpkinhead when he's killing all of these teens, he loves to take his really, really big hand and kind of just like grab the top of their head and then like drag them. And I think it's really effective. And the first time that he really does it is uh, Maggie, who's the religious one, who is the one who's like, little boy, little boy. Um, She's outside. She's kind of already gotten got. We've moved back inside with a few of the other people. And there's a shot from outside the kitchen window where Pumpkinhead picks her head up and smashes it against the window and kind of like smushes her face and she's still alive and she's like bleeding and then he slams it through the window onto the sink and she kind of just starts to bleed out all over the sink and I thought that was very effective. It kind of reminded me of um, the shot in Sick. Yeah. uh, The Kevin Williamson film that came out this year where he's like coming outside and no spoilers but um, it was just very effective the way that like he 
was kind of just throwing her around like a rag doll by her fucking head. It's very yeah. like taunting of Pumpkinhead what he's doing. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like he could very much like lean more mm-hmm. of like the Michael Myers killer. I mean, he's more of a monster, but like for the sake of the argument, where it's just kind of like more stoic, just like in and out, slice, dice, and move on to the next one. But there's something about this, it's like it's leaning not to the extreme that is Freddy Krueger, but kind of more in the Freddy Krueger, especially later Freddy Krueger camp of like, I don't know, getting a little silly with it. Like, um, just like it feels like especially that scene, like it almost feels like um Mm-hmm. Like playing like with your playing. food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like playing with his food a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. But in terms of my favorite, I mean, obviously the pumpkin head himself, we've already talked about. Mm-hmm. He looks great. And specifically, I mean, I love the shot of pumpkin head standing in the church doorway, um, backlit by the moon. Um, I thought that was gorgeous, especially now knowing that possibly mm-hmm. in that same shot, um, he could be wearing uh, Nikes. Um <laughs> perfect in my eyes but something that I would always say is my favorite comes later in the movie with Lance Henriksen after he's like kind of getting like to full pumpkin head transformation of like the height of the movie and he's fighting pumpkin head and he like turns and looks at pumpkin at one point and he's got these like crazy like yellow kind of also like bloodshot like contacts mm. in which in general I mean I love a good contact moment girl you know I'm a fan of the lost boys like I love that shit but tell me why girl I was literally like wait a minute why is he so fucking fun in these contacts, <laughs> bitch? Um, I literally restrained myself so much in this episode, not talking about how fucking hot Lance was. I think the, like, fake rat teeth, like, helped me, like, stay grounded um, mm. and not go to my really horny place. Um, but I will say for any Lancey girls in the audience, watch House 3 um, with Lance in it. It is not a good movie, so I'm not recommending it for that reason, but Lance looks super fucking I've hot. I've seen House 3. I've seen House and House so 2. So hot in it. Good to know. Well, we already kind of briefly touched on the fact that the script for this film is not great, so I'm sure that it was slim pickings for you as well for best line. Um, I have a backup in case you take my line, because I feel like you probably will take my line, so... What's your favorite line? My favorite line um, actually comes from our favorite janitor from Sorority Babes. Um, and it is when Lance has come to his house um, to drop off his fucking feed or whatever. And he's like begging him at this point to tell him where the witch is. Like, please, please, please help me. And he's like, no, 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 no. I'm not going to do that, girl. Um, and finally, when he finally starts to admit that like he kind of does know what Lance is talking about, um, he has this line which kind of feels so per- it's like the quintessential line for me I feel like from this movie um because I feel like it just like adds once again it's like the at- the atmospheric equivalent in like a line read um and it sets up everything that's like to come in the movie because he says um she can't help him all she can do is take you straight to hell um which is quite literally what happens like she can't really help him and she sets him up to like essentially sell his soul to a demon uh, which he ultimately ends up regretting so um that is my select for favorite line because i think it's what the movie's all about that's a great choice i yeah i love that character because he's really only used to like kind of give exposition which is basically his role in sorority babes and slime ball bowl around <laughs> literally like, yeah i love that he just shows up tells us what's going on and then he leaves that's perfect it. love it for him uh, my favorite line comes from one of the the women tracy because after so joel is the character who kills billy the little kid um and he runs and does not want to turn himself in because he 
already has a pre-existing fucking hit and run a few months earlier. And so he's like, well, this is, you know, strike two. They're going to put me away. And Tracy and her boyfriend are like, no, dude, we have to call the police. Joel's not happy about this. So he locks them in a closet and will not let them out. Tracy, furious in the closet, says, when we get out of here, Joel's going to be carrying his balls in a knapsack. And I loved it. I was like, yes, get him, kill him. I would have like, that whole scene where Joel is like not letting them call the police and he's like fighting with them is so infuriating because he's like hitting them. He's like telling them what to do. And I just want to like rip his fucking head off. He makes me so mad in that scene. So I was like, yeah, girl, get his balls, get them. Yeah, that whole like series of events is like very like, um, I know what you did last summer where it's like, we're mm. all in this together. Nobody's going to tell the cops. Like, like kind of forcing mm-hmm. that to happen. Um, but no, it's a great moment. Doesn't her boyfriend say, like, remind me never to, like, yeah. piss you off? Just don't lock her in a closet, maybe. Or kill a child. No, literally. You know, don't restrain me against my will. It's that easy. Bars on the floor. It certainly is, but they still managed to get under it, girl. Um, yeah. Anyways, if you were in the pumpkin head universe, um... Who would you choose to be your partner in crime uh, through all of this? I would take the duo of Billy and Gypsy because they they're a, they're a set piece. You can't you can't separate them. Um, I I don't typically like children, but Billy is just so cute and so sweet. Like the little that you get to see of him, he's just like very respectful. He f- listens to his father. He makes him a necklace and he gives it to him and he says like oh, you don't have to wear it all the time. Just when like the thought strikes you and it's just so fucking cute and sweet. And and obviously I love a dog. I love Gypsy. So, you know, I would absolutely be there to try to protect both of them as best I could. Who would you possibly pick? I don't know. <laughs> um, Obviously I'm going to pick Lance. Yeah. Um, Because I'm going to step up and be the stepmother that Billy needs. Oh. Yeah, literally. Um, but obviously I love Lance, so, like, that was an easy select for me. But, like, in terms of his character, like, mm-hmm. he's such a sweet father. Like, the scene you were talking about where, like, he makes his dad, like, the necklace. And then he's like, oh, you can wear whenever you want to. And Lance is literally like, I'm never taking this shit off. And he doesn't. He doesn't. No. He literally, he literally, girl, is buried in that motherfucking necklace as, like, the new pumpkin head yeah. corpse. Um, but then, oh, he's just like such a good dad and like bitch that fucking scene when they're like at like the goddamn water spigot and lance is like washing their hands and he's like talking about like when his grandmother used to wash his hands bitch when is it gonna be my turn (laughs) um i need him um but also like i need a man in my life that if something horrible and tragic were to happen i had an untimely death or whatever he would um make regrettable bad decisions all in the name yeah. of like avenging me like that's what i want that's the energy if your I man need. doesn't conjure a demon for you literally literally well it's literally like i was talking about i was re-listening to the saw episode and i literally said that like whatever fucking saw movie it is like saw five or some shit where like jigsaw john kramer's dead he's like he hasn't left his wife like you know psi love you notes he left her like the instructions for like an intricate saw game to like kill their fucking enemies or some shit and i'm like yes that's what i want i need somebody on the same deranged level of crazy that i am at all the time all right okay so original question you can interpret this however you would like because my answer is kind of 
not is kind of outside of the lines. Um, we've talked about a lot of B horror series that love to pit creatures against each other. You know, you have like Anaconda versus Lake Placid. You have Puppet Master versus Demonic Toys. Like they love to have a big series of things and then be like, why don't we do a crossover? So if Pumpkinhead was going to do a crossover with any other kind of creature or person, who would you want to see him fight? Slenderman. Wow, that was immediate. That's a great answer because it's. I wanted to pick somebody that was like <laughs> in the woods. It's like also central to like the wooded that was so fast i mean girl literally as you were saying the question i was like slender man easy like top of my head joey king would be in it i mean i would hope she would be in it i mean the thing is like she's already been in a goddamn slender man movie so i'd like want to suicide squad that shit where it's like pretend the first one didn't happen this is the new slender man movie with joey king it does not exist in the same universe. <laughs> Literally, like, let me fucking make the Slenderman Pumpkinhead movie. Um, and Joey King will finally be in a goddamn good movie. Like, I promise. Um, but no, everything you were saying is exactly why. Like, the whole, like, Woods thing. Mm-hmm. Everything like that. And I think that, like, Pumpkinhead's, like, a demon. Slenderman. Yeah. Also maybe a demon. It's unclear. And I feel like the whole thing with them is, like, kind of, like, low-key would be these people like getting involved where they don't need to get involved like with pumpkinhead it's like do not go into the woods do not ask the witch for help like leave it fucking be like you're asking for trouble doing that and then with slender man i mean girl i was huge into the slender man shit when it was like happening like oh my god like what a time to be fucking alive so i was like up on all that shit um but with that thing it would kind of kind of be like you know i feel like a lot of those like the slender man stuff was always like trying to find these eight pages and like find this stuff where it's like girl Mind your business. Let Slenderman do what the fuck Slenderman wants to do. Stop trying to be fucking Sherlock Holmes and get back in your fucking house. But yeah, I would love to see the two of those gangly long boys duke it the fuck out. That's such a great choice. Wow, I'm so pleased. I wasn't sure where you were going to go with that. Um, My answer is because it's not uh, a creature that has a film series or even a film, but I was trying to think of something like wooded and I was like, going the cryptid route which is kind of similar like i feel like slender man in a way is a cryptid um so i feel like i would love to see like pumpkin head versus mothman <gasps> bitch the way that i fucking knew you were gonna say mothman and if cornelia is listening to this she definitely just like kicked a goddamn like hole mothman. in her drywall she's trying to go with sexy mothman for halloween this year <gasps> yeah literally you have to be sexy (laughs) i love mothman so great one of the best cryptids there is well it's so funny because when you said cryptid there's so many cryptids but for some reason my head i was like no why do i feel like she's gonna say mothman wow incredible well let's just get let's get these made yeah it was a great pick i mean we've got godzilla vs. mothra mothman Pumpkinhead. the writer's strike is over as of literally today as we record Mm. so let's uh let's get it written anybody in the industry listening (laughs) write this shit down we're giving you gold Okay, so my OG question, not a great one, but I'll do my best to explain it. Um, so let's start um, with the idea of, you know, a pumpkin. You know, a pumpkin is a great Halloween-centric, like, item yes. thing. So, which then kind of spawned in its own way the creature of Pumpkinhead, even though Pumpkinhead doesn't really look like a pumpkin, but you get what I'm saying. So if you were to become a creature that either you became this or, like, Pumpkinhead, your soul was, like, tied to it, um creature like what halloween item would you want that Mm -hmm. creature to be um i guess loosely based off of that was i was thinking about asking that as my question so that's really funny that's what yours was um i don't know how it would really come to fruition but i feel like 
A, it would be a black cat probably because nice. um, a black cat or like a bat or like a cross between Ooh. a black cat and a bat um, because I'm, I'm a cat bitch. The black cat is like a classic Halloween, you know, with the, like the, the back arched. I feel like you could do something really cool with that. So yeah, I mean, I like the bat. It's giving kind of like Jeepers Creepers creature a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, if you have like a, a scary black cat with like the arched back and like the hissing in the claws, but also with wings, spooky. Very spooky. Um, I would choose to be a skeleton. <laughs> uh, yeah, skeleton. Yeah. Um, just because like, I just love those bony guys. And I don't even want to be like those like huge Home Depot like 12 foot skeletons like literally normal size regular skeleton yeah we're all skeletons so you have your wish already oh my god a girl's dreams can come true (laughs) (laughs) all I need to do is rip my skin off um but yeah just like walking around bone town baby Mm -hmm. um uh, just like giving like bare knuckle boxing these hoes with my bare bones evil dead 2 skeleton um yeah, kind of like Evil Dead 2. I'm more like Army of Darkness with, like, you know, the bone flute skeletons. Mm-hmm. Those are my favorite guys. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and I would happily turn into a skeleton at the end of the day. That's beautiful. Your skin will just melt off and you will be your your true form. Yes. Well, that concludes our Q and Slay portion of the episode. So now, before we wrap things up, of course, we have to give our final ratings for uh, Pumpkinhead on our foolproof scale um, from Busty Blonde to Final Girl. So Alex, what do you rate Pumpkinhead? You know, I love to not just pick one number and go between. So I'm going to yet again do it because that's how Letterboxd works and that's how my brain works. Um, I give... Pumpkinhead, a three and a half. That dumb fucking idiot boy who lives next door who plays sports. Dumb jock ne- boy next door. Because I think, as we said, the atmosphere, impeccable. You can't beat the atmosphere on this. If you want to watch something that just like looks really good, especially for 1988 and for the budget that they have, I just think it looks so impressive. The effects are incredible. The story is wonderful. Definitely could have a stronger script. But like at the end of the day, it's something that I feel like is a is a must watch around Halloween time. So three and a half stars. Well, I give this a solid dumb jock three stars. Um, I will confess though, on this rewatch, there is a period of time in the movie after Lance like has bringing back Pumpkinhead's corpse to the witch. It's resurrected, and then she's like, "Okay, go home," and it starts killing. Mm-hmm. And there's good stuff in that section of the movie, but like parts of it also drag where I start to lose interest. So originally I was like teetering where I was like, do I give this like a Mm 2.5? Which I ultimately like did not do. I gave it three stars. Like I felt solid about that. Um, But especially after our discussion, like, yeah, like it has to get that extra half star, like for the atmosphere, for the practical effects, for the Lance performance, like, um, which is why I Mm -hmm. love, you know, discussing these movies with you because I just, I get so much more out of them. But yeah, solid three dumb jock for me and a solid, I think, Halloween movie to add to your um, rotation. And definitely something that at the very least, as I said, I think earlier in the episode, is worth at least one viewing um, in your lifetime. I think it's funny that you said that because when I watched it with Greg a few years ago, that's exactly how I felt. The like third act like the second like end of second act into third act I remember being kind of like I'm kind of over it like I'm kind of tired like 
let's let's move it along. But this time, for some reason, I was like way more invested. And I think maybe it's just maybe you just have to really be in like the right mindset to 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 get into it because I've I felt that before while watching it, but I did not feel it this time. Well. That concludes our October Pumpkinhead episode. Um, But fear not, little creeps, because we have so many more treats coming up this month. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You're going to be spending all of your Halloween October month with your favorite girls who cried be horror. Um, And yeah, and then if none of those things are of interest to you, we have an entire back catalog as well of great episodes with some great fun guests. Um, But lastly, what I will leave you with, because I will not shut the fuck up about it, is by the time this episode airs, I will be in the fourth round of the Face of Horror competition in which I am competing to be 2023's Face of Horror. If I win, I will get a photo shoot with Kane Hodder in Rue Morgue magazine. But honestly, to me, more importantly, I will win um, $13,000, all of which will go toward funding um, a feature-length horror comedy slasher that I have written with Roberto, who has also been a guest on our podcast. Um, so you can get on, you can vote for free every day. Um, so if you love me, you'll do that. I will include the link to where to vote in the bio of this episode. It will also be linked in my personal Instagram bio and it will be linked in our podcast Instagram bio. So you can find it there as well. Um, but thank you so much, um, because your votes mean the world and I need them very badly. Vote for Anya. It's free. You can vote once a day. She said, she said, and I'm going to hold her to it, that I can come with her I if did. she wins. I did say that. So if not for just Anya, <laughs> for me too, let me go to California and get to hang out, maybe see Kane Hodder from a distance and be like, please. <laughs> well, happy Halloween, creeps. Thank you as always for listening. Um, yeah, I just hope you enjoy your Halloween season. And as always, keep it yes. creepy. Happy Halloween. Bye. Bye. Hi creeps, and thanks for listening to another episode of The Girls Who Cried Be Horror. We'd like to take a minute to give thanks to Rachel Baldwin, who is the mastermind behind our incredible new intro music. You can follow her on Instagram at Rachel K. Baldwin, and all of her other music is available to stream on all major streaming platforms. We'd also like to thank Raymond Lowell, who's the incredible artist behind our podcast, Artwork. You can follow him on Instagram at rblowell to see all his other incredible work. And then for your two lovely hosts, Alex can be found on Letterboxd at Alex Branley, and I, Anya, can be found on Letterboxd at agarity 15 as well as Twitter. And if you'd like to keep up to date on all things related to our podcast, you can follow us on Instagram at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror, follow us on Twitter at Girls Who Cried BH, and if you'd like to send us a message very personally, you can email us at the Girls Who Cried Be Horror at gmail.com. Until next time, creeps, keep it creepy.